Welcome to the Changemakers LA podcast. My name is Tanua Thrash Intuk, and I'm the executive director of the Local Initiative Support Corporation for the Los Angeles office. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about tenant protection and rent control. And we've got several special guests with us here today to talk about that. I've got uh, Jackie Hoffman. Jackie is the Regional Vice President of Property Operations at Mercy Housing. She's got nearly 20 years of experience with Mercy Housing in both property operations and resident services. She oversees a major segment of the Mercy Housing California portfolio, including San Francisco and Southern California. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you. Glad to be here. We've also got uh, Jonathan Wolf. Jonathan is also with Mercy Housing, and he's the Director of Resident Services for Southern California. Since the mid-90s, Jonathan has been working with underserved populations ranging from foster youth, people with developmental disabilities, and individuals experiencing homelessness in both Boston and Los Angeles. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, thank you for having me today. Great. I've also got here in the studio Dr. D'Artanian Scorsa. He is the founder and executive director of the Social Justice Learning Institute. It's a nonprofit organization that works to help communities achieve health and educational equity. He's currently serving his first term on the Inglewood Unified School District Board of Education and has previously served as spokesperson for the Citizens for Revitalizing the City of Champions Revitalization Initiative. This is an organization dedicated to sponsoring the installation of entertainment zones in the Hollywood Park project area of Inglewood. Welcome, Dr. Scorsa. Thank you for having me. Great. So let's get into our topic uh, today. Uh, Rent control has been a hotly debated issue here in California and certainly across the country, um, especially in its role in maintaining affordable housing for communities who are um, touched by economic, uh, an economic renaissance um, that is sweeping all over L.A. County. Um, as commercial districts seem to continue to have advancements, so do gentrification. In fact, from 2000 to 2012, median rents increased by 25% in L.A. And while some uh, incomes have declined as much as 9%, that has meant that many residents have found themselves in increasingly uh, displaced by soaring rents and housing prices while not having the income to keep up with that. So we bring our attention now to Inglewood, and in Inglewood, uh, the city recently adopted rent regulations that promised to ease some of that strain for renters um, because some residents have been able to meet the high cost of rent with their current wages and are losing their homes, begging the question whether tenants will have sufficient eviction protections without surrendering their livelihoods, dignity, and opportunity to live in health and safe, health and safe communities. So let's uh, open up the discussion with just a little level setting. Uh, Dr. Scorsa, can you talk with us about what is rent control and why is it such a hot button issue in Inglewood and L.A. County? Yes, absolutely. So uh, rent control, um, in short, is a government policy and or program that limits the amount landlords can charge for rent or for leasing a home or a apartment unit or something of that sort. Most often, um, rent control laws are usually enacted by local governments, and they vary widely. So 
you can limit rent increases by uh, three, five, eight, ten percent, or you can peg the increases to the consumer price index. Um, but the intent is to maintain uh, lower costs of housing to ensure that that housing is affordable for residents whose income, to your point, does not keep up with the rising cost of living. And it's been such a hot button issue in Inglewood and Los Angeles County because rent increases have continued to outpace uh, wages. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at a place like Inglewood, I know you mentioned it's been 25% since 2000, uh, from 2000 to 2012. In Inglewood, the rents jumped by 29% alone uh, in the last um, six years. And in the past two years, the increases were between 16 and 18% per year. We saw... Um, significant rent increases up to at least 120 and in some cases 150 percent folks rents were doubling uh, but no amenities were being added to their apartments and so it's been a hot button issue because you have um, people now uh, being unable to afford to live in their places not just in a place like Inglewood where there's a lot of economic development occurring but also throughout LA County and as the squeeze for um, housing continues to increase as homelessness increases as our housing stock uh, does not keep up with um, our population needs um, we continue to see increased burdens placed on our families yeah so it's a it's a hot button issue because people are experiencing the real circumstance of not being able to afford homes. Um, but the other part of the hot button part of this issue is that you have uh, landlords who say that they need to be able to raise the rent in order to keep pace with other costs uh, in the marketplace. So you were part of a group of tenants that directly appealed to the Inglewood City Council and. Um, I'm not sure if, you know, you yourself, I happen to know you personally, but you may <laughs> be a landowner yourself. Uh, and, and so what what is the effort like uh, to try and balance what uh, a landlord might need in terms of reasonable rent and what people can actually pay based on wages that are available in the marketplace? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, thank you for that, because you're right, it is controversial because landlords also believe that they, um, should be able to charge what they need to charge, not only to operate their their um, units, but to make sure that they can turn a profit. Um, and, and that's frankly based upon the, the sort of phenomena where we've commodified housing. Um, but I, I think we, when we began our work in Inglewood, we focused specifically on reaching out to homeowners and landlords and brought them into our coalition alongside tenants so that we understood what the issues were. Uh, and we conducted a poll where we evaluated where um, the, the sort of greatest uh, impacts of, of rent increases were in the city and analyze what our community would actually like to see happen. And so in a city like Inglewood, most of our units between one to four or so are owned by moms and pops. Mm -hmm. um, the units that are five or more are more frequently owned by corporate landlords. And increasingly, what's also made this such a complicated issue is that a lot of corporations have come in and purchased up significant amounts of single family homes, as well as larger blocks, um, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, Blackstone, Colony Starwood, Tricon, a lot of these groups have come into the city of Inglewood and purchased up available stock and have raised rents and have gouged. And I think um, we wanted to balance those circumstances and that, frankly, those atrocities out with the needs of our moms and pops. And so we actually proposed to exclude um, units that were one between one and four uh, from the rent stabilization ordinance 
and then mobilizing the city to keep rents um, pegged near or around this the CPI, which um, is anywhere between three to four percent. And so uh, we did that work, but it was difficult. And I think in many ways um, we decided because the city was initially opposed to this, we decided to run our own ballot initiative. Um, and got a number of, got over 14,000 signatures. And unfortunately, by the time we submitted that initiative to qualify, at least 2,000 of the residents who were registered to vote had already moved and registered somewhere else. And so we were seeing significant displacement in our city uh, and decided to pursue the city council. And eventually, uh, the mayor of the city took it up um, and decided to put forward an initiative to help address the needs that we had identified. Wow. Well, I'm really glad to hear that you brought together residents renters as well as uh, landlords themselves. And then, you know, we're in uh, communication about what's needed on all fronts, right? And trying to really uh, respect and understand everybody's perspective. And um, good to hear that there was a separation, sort of a bifurcation in thinking about, you know, there are some entities out there, like some of the major corporations that you talked about, who are really commodifying housing and buying up large large multifamily apartment style buildings um, and, you know, looking at raising rents versus what you're probably seeing in City Hall, which is the people who actually live in that community, mm-hmm. who own property, who own smaller apartment buildings and um, are interested in trying to be good landlords, um, but need a different kind of protection even as landlords, That's right. as even we're thinking about how to protect renters. So I want to also get in on get. Uh, some discussion in on the topic of just cause eviction. So Jackie, uh, Ms. Hoffman, there's a term um, that in addition to rent control, there's a term called just cause eviction. Can you explain what that means and how it relates to tenant protections? I will try to do that. I'm I'm, uh, far from being an expert in, in legal matters, but certainly this is something that is near and dear to the hearts of Uh, people who live in our affordable housing communities. And um, so there's basically two kinds of um, just cause evictions. And and one of them is a no fault uh, type of eviction, which at least for Mercy Housing often doesn't apply to us. But, you know, just for example's sake, um, if people who would be, um, for example, uh, involved in the Ellis Act or, or, sorry, subject to the Ellis Act or because there's a demolition of a, of a property or the government requires relocation, those would be considered no-fault just-cause evictions. And for most of our residents, um, a just-cause eviction uh, goes more to things related to their uh, lease or um, covenant, if you will, their contract um, for housing. So examples of um, just-cause evictions would be um, non-payment of rent or a breach of covenant or um, violence. Uh, which would be, you know, a behavioral um, breach of covenant or a failure to provide access to the unit for some reason, um, given fair notice, um, or a, a, a failure to uh, vacate if they were given um, a, a, a termination notice. There's there's a lot of um, specific examples around a just cause eviction, but the way this relates to tenant protection is that the state has um, enacted some laws which are um, intended to create greater transparency and awareness um, for justice and, and mutual um, ability to 
for residents to know more about whether or not they're subject to them. There's going to be, in July of 2020, um, uh, a mandated disclosure that's required from landlords so that um, tenants and residents are aware of, of what they're subject to. And there's, a, there's also a list of exemptions um, that are part of the, the just cause eviction regulations and laws. And, and uh, so, for example, an exemption could be um, a public housing entity or transient and tourist units, um, nonprofits, elder care, hospitals, um, dormitories. What's important from a tenant perspective is knowing um, a couple of things. One is when the, the unit or the building was built, because there's, there's various timings and, and how the, the regulations apply. And so it's really important to know when, when that unit was created. And built. And the other is to know what the exemptions are and whether or not they would apply. But the goal here is really to um, understand where one might fall if they were to be given um, some sort of notice around the just cause eviction and um, to the extent possible preempt or uh, intervene uh, to stand up for, for tenant rights. Sure. So it's important that I think we point out that really, you know, tenant protections under that umbrella are several different kinds of things that we can do to get at protecting tenants. Um, Dr. Scorsa went over and talked about rent control, and that is some level of government imposition on the amount of rent that can be raised by a certain level over a period of time. And then what you're describing, um, Jackie Hoffman, is really looking at if a tenant is you know, in a unit and by, you know, having having not violated any part of their lease, for example, really can't just be evicted. Um, there has to be some level of cause or reason why they would uh, potentially be evicted. And to the extent that they are asked to leave, um, there are some protections in terms of what they can uh, receive as part of that exit. Um, so that might include support around, you know, relocation assistance and um, having, um, you know, some support with being able to have resources to do a new first and, and last months for those of us who, you know, are renters out there know how hard it is to get those kinds of things in place. But to your point, um, if it's a no fault, there there are also regulations around providing remuneration. So if somebody is does receive a notice, um, th there are regulations around um, receiving payment, um, but it doesn't mean you can't fight it or explore it at this time. And, and the other is that if it is a just cause eviction, the tenant always has a right to um, cure or to improve, correct the behavior or the issue that, that's involved. So, yeah, uh, I just wanted to add that as well based on what you were saying. Thank you. Yes. So Jackie and Jonathan, you know, at your properties, you Mercy has provided support for a set of tenants assistance guidelines called the Eviction Prevention Programming. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the goals of that is and a bit of the strategies of this uh, initiative? Sure. I, I was going to uh, start by giving a little bit of a background and then Jonathan is going to go into a little bit more detail about it, how it worked. For about um, at least the last 10 years, we, we started with a program called the Progressive Resolution Program or a PRP that we created so that if, if a resident um, was uh, in a situation where they were not complying with the lease or if they um, were having a hard time paying the rent, we would engage with uh, between property management and resident services with the resident 
to come up with a plan so that we could get everybody back on track. And obviously that requires engagement and a willingness to sit down and meet, but um, it involves several steps that Jonathan will go through. Since um, we've worked with it for a while, we've gone through several uh, upgrades, if you will, and um, improved our collaboration and even deepened that uh, further. And, and it's now called a housing support plan. And it's um, really a commitment to engage with the residents for housing stability. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Jonathan. Thanks, Jackie. Um, yeah, so we, we call it a housing support plan as opposed to an eviction prevention program because we try to take eviction, the word eviction, out of uh, the title. Because when, when residents hear eviction, it automatically puts them on edge. And that's not our intention is to, to head towards that. It's really to preserve housing. Um, and the, the, the goals of the, our housing support plan is to ensure that everyone has access to the same opportunity considerations and services uh, after they ha they experience a housing stability issue. So it's fair across the board, um, or we try to make it as fair as possible across the board for any resident who's experiencing these issues. Uh, and it also, you know, incre it, we increase communication among the different work groups, service, resident services, property management, the, in, the tenants to ensure that no one gets uh, an eviction before adequate there's an adequate opportunity to address the behaviors. And our housing support plan um, is supposed to be messaged as a positive intervention, not a negative. It is not a step on the way to eviction. Um, and we've had great successes um, creating a positive opportunity for residents and staff to interact in a positive way. Uh, to support the residents in um, maintaining their housing and really striving. Wow. I, even since we started this conversation uh, a while ago, um, it's uh, great to hear that you figured out how, and probably because residents have uh, made it clear that they don't want to get anywhere near the term eviction, um, <laughs> that you now have even a new name for the program, um, the housing support plan to keep people uh, housed. So I just, I'm going to make a statement here and then uh, ask uh, just a, a round of quick final questions. Essentially, part of this conversation conversation is the backdrop of having increased, uh, seeing an increase in homelessness on the streets in L.A. County with nearly 60,000 residents uh, in our county on any given night that are homeless. Part of this um, is driven by the fact that many people are simply don't have enough in income and resources to be able to sustain around home ownership. And so a number of these responses that we're talking about today are how do we create uh, frameworks and opportunities for tenants to be able to be protected as they uh, continue to be housed. Um, we've started out talking about rent control as a concept and what one city has done here in L.A. Uh, County, is specifically in the city of Inglewood. And we've also talked about specifically what can be done to help people remain in place um, to keep tenants uh, in a housing plan that 
supports them and their long-term uh, success and being in that home. So as we, as I fire out a, a, just a couple of uh, question, or questions for each of our panelists to close out, um, I'd love for you to think about sort of the future of uh, these kinds of policies and what do they mean uh, for our market right now, given that backdrop. So Dr. Scorsa, what do you think is the long-term impact of rent control? Um, you know, what's the outlook in terms of maintaining this kind of policy for Inglewood and whether uh, more cities in the county need to consider it? And if so, for how long? Yeah, I think, you know, with rent control, people often think it's a a salve to address the issues of rising housing costs. And it's it's not right. It's really in some ways a stopgap, because even if you, you know, cap rents by five percent a year, um, that could be 25 percent in five years. And if wages don't keep pace with those increases, um, folk are still going to find themselves having to move. So what it does is it at least stabilizes the market um, so that rent increases can become you know, more predictable. Uh, and I think um, that's what we're hoping to see happen in the city of Inglewood. But I don't know if, and we're not certain, that that's going to prevent the levels of displacement that um, we're also seeing. So I think that there are other things that need to be done to help mitigate against displacement, which is ultimately what we're trying to, to solve for when we, adro- when we adopt rent control. And so because we're living in a city um, right now that's undergoing significant construction and, and major development with two NFL teams that have just come in to build a stadium and a potential for a Clippers arena uh, and a, you know, a new basketball venue and an existing venue, the Forum, which is one of the top concert venues in the country, um, you know, the, the city is sort of undergoing this economic boom. And because of that, we're seeing a lot of pressures on families that also make it difficult for them to afford their homes. And so we have to look at strategies to help people move into home ownership. We need to be able to produce uh, more affordable units in our city. Uh, we need to protect folk through policies like just cause evictions so that landlords can't just kick people out because they feel like it. Um, and also, you know, given that we, we've had in, in Inglewood alone the, the cost of houses, the median listing price for our homes have more than doubled since 2014, um, we got to find a way to get people into houses that will help them build a family and sustain themselves, but are still uh, economically accessible. So, you know, it, it at least gives us some time to try and figure some of these things out uh, if we can maintain and build political will. Great. So this is this is really critical, and I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you took the time to walk us through that and thinking about the fact that this is a stopgap for a moment, but it begs for a larger and more comprehensive strategy towards figuring out how do we help keep people housed. Um, Jonathan and Jackie, just quickly, uh, can people, others who are looking to be in a relationship with their residents, identify and access your housing support plan um, as a way to keep people housed? Is that something that they can access online? Uh, I'm not sure that we've made it accessible, um, but I I know that we would be, uh, because it's uh, proprietary, but certainly we would be willing to um, meet with anybody and, and share the, the basic elements of the plan. Um, as an organization, our core values are very committed to uh, helping residents um, not only achieve and fulfill their dreams, but 
thrive and we believe that housing is a basic cornerstone of that and if we um, are avoiding eviction we're we're helping people be stable and be able to focus on other things and build healthier communities and a healthier society and um, so we we would love to share the information and I know both Jonathan and I would be willing to talk to anybody who would like more information on that front but uh, Jonathan go ahead um, no I, I I second what Jackie said um, I you know I'm located in Los Angeles uh, travel throughout Southern California and would be happy to uh, meet with other organizations that are looking to develop something similar. We've seen great success, um, residents and staff alike uh, in, like this process and think it, it's effective and it works. Uh, and I personally would you know, love to give other organizations and other residents uh, the opportunity to um, benefit from something like this. Great. Well, I want to thank you for your leadership in uh, pursuing this and putting it to work already within your properties. Uh, Dr. Scorsa, I want to thank you as well for your leadership in the city of Inglewood um, and looking to try and figure out how uh, to confront this crisis that we're in around housing affordability and the homelessness crisis. I want to thank you all out there for joining us this week on the Changemakers LA podcast. We appreciate the expert analysis offered by our guests today, as well as their experiences. And thanks again for joining us in this conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so you're notified of new episodes and can share with your colleagues. Thank you for listening to LISC LA's Changemakers LA podcast. This episode was made possible by supporters like the City Foundation. If you'd like to learn more about how we preserve and expand the supply of affordable housing at LISC LA, please visit us online at www.lisc.org backslash Los Angeles and follow us on Twitter at LISC LA, L-I-S-C underscore L-A. You can find the rest of the series on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Subscribe to hear more conversations about the people and places that shape Los Angeles.